anyone that knows me knows I'm a complete jewelaholic. And so it was my utter pleasure and honour to speak with Marisa, founder of Missima, this week. Marisa's journey is one that really resonates with me and we feel like peas in a pod. We have so many shared experiences and shared knowledge of what it takes to grow a business. So many experiences that really, truly have defined us as human beings. And hearing her brand journey, I think will resonate with so many of you that it takes true grit that you have to visualize your journey. You don't always have to have it written down. Not that Marisa wants to do that ever again. And also would love you to listen out to the part where she screams out to her friends, bead faster, because it's our support groups and our networks and our family and our friends that help founders really, truly build their dreams. Bow your head and let your eyelids close on down Where we're going you won't need to bring your frown I'm Holly Tucker and welcome to Conversations of Inspiration. Back in 2006, I founded Not On The High Street for my kitchen table and since then I've gone on to launch Holly & Co. I'm the UK ambassador of Creative Small Businesses and I believe that having a business doing what you love is the key to a happy, fulfilled life. My dream is to help everybody start theirs. I'm here to offer advice, inspiration, wisdom and encouragement. And in my view, the best way to do this is by sharing stories. So I've reached out to my favourite small businesses, entrepreneurs and those who simply inspire me and ask them to share theirs. With thanks to Adobe, who've helped bring this podcast to life. Here are my conversations of inspiration. Marisa, what a pleasure it is to be speaking to you today because I know we had a little chat in lockdown through SMESOS. So thank you so much for that. Yes, we did. And the last time you and I met, we were at the Brits where we had lots of fun and we kept on promising each other we've got to meet up again. But because we both run companies, it just so happens that we don't. Well, I'm so thrilled to be here. Thank you for having me. And finally, I can't believe we get to catch up and get together. Although I still think we need to do it over a drink sometime soon. A hundred million percent. But I agree. It's just a busy life, isn't it? Trying to fit everything in. I know this has been something we've been trying to plan for about six months or something. So I'm so glad we finally... Got it in the diary. And now let's just hope my uh, my internet lasts. Yeah, the internet lasts. And if not everyone, we're going to be repeating things exactly. a couple of times. Thrilled to see you. It's so nice to see you. And as you know, I'm a jewelryaholic. Okay, so yes. this is a fantastic moment for me to be talking about all your gems. Let's start. Marisa is a little girl. You grew up in London and yes, your I did. father ran his own business. And mm-hmm. I read when researching you for this podcast that your mum, Michelle, is also a very creative person and that you feel that this maybe had rubbed off on you. You collected gemstones as a little girl. What were some of the other ways that you enjoyed being creative when you were young? So I think that, as you say, if you come from a creative family, be that music, be that art, it doesn't matter what it is, dance, I think it does rub off on you. You can't help but be surrounded by that. You take it all in and then you want to be doing something creative yourself. So I was always making things with my hands, always. And I used to go to ceramics classes, pottery classes. I don't think we could quite call it ceramics at that age. And actually, (laughs) my mother is an amazing ceramicist, um, self-taught, and she paints and she used to paint the whole house and she would do a different room every year. In fact, sometimes it would take her four years. She's quite slow, but she is unbelievably talented. And again, she was self-taught. So she would teach herself how to marble, how to do trompe how to do all types of things and she would make the cushions and the curtains and she'd make her own clothes and I just loved making things with her and I mean grew up in London we used to go down Portobello Road we used to go to all the different little antiques markets and I would collect gemstones and that's how I started but then I started collecting things like vintage brooches and I'd be making like belts out of them and we used to sort of strummy precious beads and make these really cool one-off vintage belts that then I would take to shops and sell my wares so it really did start around the kitchen table as a hobby and as something I love doing with my mum. And it's so nice to hear this so often I 
speak to founders and you get that glimpse of when they were a child. And it's only now that you can pull that story together, the golden thread for you. And so you embrace things that were creative and you've you've had a lifelong love affair with gemstones. Was the creative side of you recognised at school? Because you're encouraged so much to follow this traditional academic yeah, structure. Oh, has it not changed? No, it has. I'm sad oh to hear that gosh, it hasn't changed. It hasn't, because, I mean, yeah, I really thought things had moved forward. It's not changed. And you know what? I honestly, until we break the entire system, it's never going to change. Yeah. The only thing I would say is that, yes, was I did go down that traditional route. I did three A-levels. And funny enough, I don't know why they wouldn't let me do four A-levels. They didn't have enough classes or time or something. And I wanted to do art as my fourth A-level. But they were like, no, we don't have enough time to do that. And there's not enough, I don't know, time in the schedule. So I wasn't allowed to do art because they said, you've got to get into this type of university and they won't consider art substantial enough, which obviously I can't believe I'm saying that, bearing in mind that it's the most important thing and was the most important thing to me. And so I, yeah, I listened to, mm-hmm. yeah, the teachers and my parents. I did maths, history and French I mean, I really wasn't very good at maths. I really don't know why I did that. But you know what? It has helped now when I yeah, am looking at yeah. P&Ls and stuff like that. But no, what I was going to say, I do think, though, as much as it's a pity that things might still be that way, I think the UK is really lucky that you can go on to university and study anything and still go on to have a career being anything you want. Because then when I went to Paris, I remember when I was in Paris for my gap year, and I did a sort of stint at the Sorbonne, and then I did a stint working as an intern in a bank. And, you know, they were saying, if you study history, which is what I went on to uni to study, you can only be a history professor in France. And they are very like that about all of the arts and all of the liberal arts. Yes. And so we don't realise how lucky we are that you can literally go and study at university, whether it's, you know, history, art, any any liberal arts, and then go on and be anything and do any career. You're very much, I think, pigeonholed, certainly in France. I don't know about other European countries. And you had to study business studies or you had to study economics if you wanted to go on and into something of that field. And actually, so you were literally choosing your future as a young'un, basically that path. Because as you just mentioned, you went to study modern history before Mm -hmm. taking a gap year and then landed a job in a corporate world working for luxury goods company. Tell me about this time of life because... A lot of young people after uni tend to get a job and they follow mm-hmm. the path that they think they're supposed to follow, maybe not giving it enough thought. And we're lucky because here that we can choose that. But rather than thinking what they actually want for themselves, and potentially that's where you get caught. Yeah. You get caught and then you end up doing it for 10 years and you're like, hang on a minute, I don't even know if I wanted to do this or not. Yeah, and I think it is very, yeah, you need to avoid getting stuck in that trap because I think you're right. Time goes by so fast. You don't want to get stuck in a rut. So I think for me personally, I didn't know what I wanted to do after university. I didn't know what I excelled at. And I think that I was quite capable at many things, but I didn't excel in any one thing. And I actually think that's a harder place to be the person who is amazingly good at one thing and be that be that music be that mathematics for going into you know economics or something like that but if you don't excel in one thing it's actually even harder to choose well what is that one thing I should go in and do so I knew that I wanted something a bit broader where I could see what area did I really want to specialize in or did I need to specialize at all and I knew that I liked something that had a creative environment where Mm -hmm. When I went into luxury goods, it was Richemont, which owns Cartier and Van Cleef and Arpels and Chloe. And it was before sort of net-a-porter days. And I thought I wanted to be in an environment that has brands that create tangible products and be on the kind of business side of it, the corporate side of it. Now, the thing is, is I didn't realize that the corporate side is very removed from the brand. So actually, I ended up doing something that was a bit dry. And it was basically media buying, which was aggregated group volume for the sort of Richemont brands as a whole, as opposed to for any one brand. So actually, the brands ended up resenting you, trying to lump them together. And and you're probably on an Excel spreadsheet most of the time. Yeah, just on an Excel spreadsheet the whole day. And quite <laughs> frankly... Like the last thing that you wanted to do. Yeah. And I didn't feel excited about it. I wasn't inspired. I didn't actually really understand what I did. And to this day, I still don't. The brands ended up resenting you because you were at the corporate level telling them, you know, what they need to be doing and these are the guidelines and this is what they need to, you know, sort of step within. So yeah, I didn't love it, but it did teach me the most important thing in life, which is what I don't want to be doing. And I often say to people, Mm. you learn more from 
what you don't want to be doing than sometimes when you stumble upon something and you think, wow, isn't this amazing? Because sometimes you need to go through what my mother always says to me is called the baptism of fire. So if you go through that, it really makes you appreciate the good things. And when you do find what is right, it makes you appreciate it all the more because you've had to work hard to get there and you've been through some, you know, more difficult situations. The trenches. The trenches. I mean, I remember the first three months of my first job I spent in, in the in, in the filing cabinet. You know, you have to do the hard slog and I think it, it makes you appreciate yeah. things more. Oh, I couldn't agree more. And I think that's actually why apprenticeships are phenomenal as well because I do believe in learning from the bottom up and mm. yeah, but that's a whole other subject. During this time though, while you were in a place where you're in your Excel spreadsheet doing something that you didn't necessarily fully understand, you were also making jewellery and yeah. it was at your kitchen table and you described it as initially being a hobby and I think maybe a passion project. Totally. And so many people start their businesses like this and it was just this little thing they did yeah. and then suddenly it takes over. What were those early days like at the kitchen table? And I know it was a real family affair. Tell me about that. Set the scene. I laugh about those days. So the scene is at my parents' house. I think I was still living at home. I don't think I moved out of home till I was about 24. Anyway, I couldn't afford to, so I was still living at home. I'd converted my sister's old bedroom into basically a bead shop. It held all the beads, it held everything, had the big light, you know, with the magnifying glass. And whether it was up there or down on by the kitchen table, my mother and I used to bead all the sort of, it started out as belts, then went to earrings, then went to necklaces. And then as it got to the point where we were selling to shops, we needed more of them because they were selling out. So then I started putting ads out at jewellery making schools. Um, so all the different UALs yep. and Central St. Martins, etc. And so then I would get these regular beaders who basically were students who wanted to help me make on the side. And I'd basically be bagging up beads and wire and pearls and there'd be beads of sapphires and all kinds of amazing precious and semi-precious gemstones with, you know, a little drop of pearls, a little drop of gold wire, etc. And instructions written out on a piece of paper. And then I drive <laughs> round to all these different places in London with my basic my bags of gemstones and I was like I, I called myself the gemstone dealer so basically I'd be meeting people on like corners going winding down my window and going here you go if I can have it back for next Tuesday it really was it was it was a lot of work oh, you know and, and so anyway we were paying students while they were studying then after that when I decided to finally after two years of doing that and realizing if we're going to give it a go we've really got to scale this up one other funny anecdote is that my friends used to also come around sometimes and help. And if it was sorting out beads or helping to bag up. And apparently to this day, my best friend still goes, I have nightmares of you just going, bead faster. <laughs> because I literally have them working to, this one should take 30 minutes. This one should take 40 minutes. So yeah, I was a real oh taskmaster. Oh my goodness, that is so funny. Yeah. And what a lovely memory for you to have over a glass of wine now. Yeah, Not cheers, yeah. but bead faster. And I do think there are so many friends that help you out along the way. Mm. So whether it's friends who gave me free legal advice, you know, as they became lawyers or even just friends who helped at trade shows. So many of my friends, while they were in between jobs, et cetera, they would come to, with me to trade shows, be it in London or in Basel or in Las Vegas. That one was fun. That's another story. <laughs> but all around the world. And they would help me put on these trade shows. Obviously, I'd pay them. But, you know, it was great to have these friends alongside with you, especially when it gets lonely and you need that moral support. Yeah, I was actually only reflecting, I was on the tube today and I was reflecting on exactly that. I had, I did an interview that I was nervous about this morning and two or three of my friends just left me these most loveliest voice notes of encouragement. Aww. And I thought to myself, my goodness, these women have been for 20 years my cheerleader, my support. Yeah. And actually I love to support other people, but it's almost when you're in a boss there's only few people that you can almost trust to support you. And say, I'm nervous about this, yeah. And I love the fact that you're telling everyone that you were nervous about something this morning because they don't realise that you still get nervous no matter how much experience you have of doing interviews or interviewing people or podcasts. There are still moments where you go, wow, I'm really nervous. And yeah, and you need that support and having that support network around it's, you is... so important. And I think also... Maybe that people don't want to be a problem or ask all these things. And I think my friends, I don't know about yours, I'm sure they would say exactly the same thing, which is actually if this is going to be your journey in life, 
I want to be involved in it. You know, this is you. And actually, I love supporting you. You love supporting me. But yours just happens to be around business. So that's something that you do. And I think people should ask more. Tell me the name, Missima. Tell me how that's made up, because that's almost where it began around that kitchen table. It began around that kitchen table. I will say I stole the idea from a friend of mine who was also setting up a brand at the same time. And so she had named it after her mother, sister and herself. And I thought, oh, that's really clever. That's really cute while I was trying to find a name. And so I did Missima, which was Michelle, my mother, Sophie, my sister, and I'm the the Marisa at the end. And um, so, yeah, it was just an amalgamation of the three of you know, our names. And, you know, my sister would often help out. You know, I still rely on their advice so much. No, it's lovely to have them involved, but it's also evolved, you know, so that there's so many, so many more people than just my family. There's a whole new mm. family I have that make up Missima, yeah. but I still think it has to have that yeah. family ethos. And it doesn't mean that it needs to be run by family. It means that the people you work with become your family. I think if you don't have a partner, you need a mentor. And if you don't have well, a few mentors, not just one for different areas and yep. not just mentors, but peers that are in the same position as you that you can go to because they're having the same, they're facing the same challenges as you are or celebrate the good times mm. or the difficult times um, together. And so I think that's really important. And I think there are more networks now like that for, you know, young entrepreneurs or even female entrepreneurs. And I think that's really exciting to see. Yeah, and and probably lacked when yeah, we I started, think so. right? But yeah, I think that also... Well, I mean, my bank manager didn't know what an entrepreneur was. I couldn't spell it either. It <laughs> See, I help. never called myself an entrepreneur. That's what's really funny. I've only started to think of myself in that way in the last year or two because people keep on calling me that. I just thought of myself as a jewellery designer. It's when you've gone through that many rounds of VC funding, you just start yeah, exactly. to call yourself these things. You don't even call yourself these things that you are spoken to as that person. Tell me, you decided to, you know, quit your day job. Yeah. You started, decided to go for it. This is one of those moments where it lots really of is. people have a heart attack because yeah. how are they actually going mm -hmm. to do this? Yeah. And is it, you know, they might have the rent or the mortgage or whatever those things were. Um, and I remember Sahar Shimi um, who said on this podcast and she said, leap and the net will appear. But you only sort of know that once it's worked out a little bit, you know, how was that moment for you when yeah. you decided to do that? I've always said you have to enjoy the people you work with. And when you realize you absolutely, I just hated my job. I think I had an amazing boss, like direct boss, who was an inspirational woman, a few years older than me. She was so hardworking. She was absolutely amazing. But when she left because she was promoted to one of the brands, I was in the direct line of the sort of bigger boss who, let's just say, had gone through 11 people in two years. Um, and I, <laughs> you know, after spending more time, yeah, crying in the loo than I did by Why? my, yeah, by my desk, I just realized, I mean, it's not worth it, you know? And I decided to leave and I was miserable there. And I thought there has to be a way to do something you love and something that, you know, you enjoy and have a better, you know, sort of quality of life. And I think that's what I mean about it, teaching you what you don't want. And I always remember mm. going, I will never treat someone the way that I don't want to be treated myself. And I think it's those kind of things you learn early on that really stay with you throughout the rest of, you know, your years. Um, so taking the leap, felt easier because I was leaving something I really didn't love. I'd already yes. been sort of beading away <laughs> on the side. But I think the mistake I made is I didn't really have a plan. And I didn't really have a business plan. I didn't have a partner. I didn't have a mentor. And I just literally grew it organically. And I think that meant that it took a lot longer than it should have. And I think if I could go back, I would do a business plan. I would probably get a partner who complimented me. But I think there's so many things I would have done differently. But it's your journey, isn't it? And I've always considered myself a bit of a late bloomer. And I think for me, it took a lot longer to find my place and for Missima to find its place. And I think the, the two journeys were, you know, very linked. And I think it just depends on when you when you kind of find your confidence in your voice. And sometimes, you know, that comes sooner to some people and later to other people. Thank you. 
As you know, I'm passionate about celebrating small businesses and championing creativity within all of us. That's why I'm thrilled to be working with Adobe Express, who each week are handing over their ad break to a small business founder, shining a light on their own businesses and sharing how Adobe Express really is helping fuel their creativity. Hello, my name is Claire and I'm the founder of Pop Bakery. We make cake pops, which are cakes on sticks. Each cake pop is hand-shaped and hand-painted to perfection. We have the most talented artistic team who can turn practically anything into a cake pop. From a toucan to a tennis racket, we've done it all. Away from all the creativity that happens inside the bakery, there's also a whole creative element to our social media that needs a lot of time and attention. As a mum of a two-year-old juggling running Pop Bakery and motherhood, I so appreciate tools like the new Adobe Express app, which allows me to create beautiful on-brand content fast. Alongside the help this app offers us in creating beautiful graphics for our social channels, the way it's really shined for us is through its editing tools. Our behind-the-scenes videos on TikTok showing the process of making our pops are very popular, and the editing tools that Adobe Express offer are the fastest and easiest we've used. As you'll see if you check us out on TikTok, the cake pops are labour-intensive to say the least. So any tool like this one that speeds up all the other million jobs there are to do in a small business is much appreciated. If you fancy checking out our full range of cake pops, you can go to www.popbakery.co.uk or follow us at Pop Bakery on Insta and at Pop Bakery UK on TikTok. Our Christmas range is coming soon and this year's a personal fave. Pop love, Claire. Thank you once more to Adobe, who have helped to make this podcast episode happen. If you want to find out more about Adobe Express and how it can help your business, head over to adobe.com slash go slash Holly Tucker. Now let's get back to our conversation of inspiration. You say it is a sort of parallel to yourself. Mm. I would say exactly the same. And I think this is one of the most beautiful things. And I think we yeah. spoke about it in the evening at the Brits where... I think it's why we bonded. It's why we bonded. It's like, you know, I don't know... I'm not saying who I was before mm. this, but this is all of mm. me. And this is my journey personally as much as it's my professional journey it's the discovery business has allowed me to discover things about myself challenge yeah, myself absolutely. learn more be curious have experiences mm. i never had good mm, and bad yeah. by the way you know both. both of them but would you say that that's the same for you i think it really was how we bonded because it's it's a very personal thing yeah and work with so many different types of people and that's such a learning curve in itself um, because you meet people who challenge you in a positive way and you meet people who challenge you in a negative way. And it's so hard to find your confidence when you are, you know, being challenged by people that don't treat you the way that you want to be treated, don't respect you, mm -hmm. don't, you know, talk down at you. And so I think you have to really fight to get your voice heard and to, I've been taken down paths that I didn't, I knew weren't right for me or for my brand and you have to fight to get it back on that path that you know is right for mm. you. And your gut is always right. And every time I sort of re steer it back to the right place, I think, oh, I won't let that happen again. And then I do. And you just think, oh, why can't I learn? But each time it's a new experience. It's a different experience. You haven't... What would you say that is? Because I've had exactly the same experience. Have you? Would you say Would you say that that is an, a question I had had to you, but I'll, I'll ask it now. Mm. Is that sort of, I don't know belief in ourselves yeah you know absolute you know the imposter syndrome even though it's spoken about too much but on a serious level it it comes in like you said mm. I'm not going to let that happen again and suddenly half a year later you, you find do. yourself yeah. in a pickle Absolutely. again and you're like is that because again yeah. I doubted exactly. I doubted my navigation my internal navigation absolutely we 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 just we all go through phases in life and everything has whether it's, you know, your ups and downs or just phases of, of where you're at in your life, how you're feeling, et cetera. And sometimes I find it's people that come from a more corporate world, supposedly have more experience than you, talk down at you. And also with really big words that sound like they know what they're talking about. And you actually realize afterwards, I do know what I'm talking about because I've lived it. And I don't need to have those big words to know what feels right for the brand, mm. the direction we should be taking it in, what we should be doing. 
And again, that's finding your own confidence, but you can't be confident all the time. You know, I was just talking to one of my colleagues before I came online and she was feeling really tired. And I said, that's okay. Do less today. You're honored 120%, 140%, maybe even 150% most days. And some days just can't be like that. And you just need to be okay with that. And we just need to be kind to ourselves. Now, don't get me wrong. That's when you are a very when you're on most of the time. If you were just coasting most of the time, it's a very different story. I'm talking about for people who are just, you know, self-driven and highly motivated, you know, and they work at such a sort of, you know, high level and fast pace that you can't continue that forever. And I find that I definitely go through phases where I burn out, you know, and it's quite cyclical because it's the way I work. But then you need to, as you grow and you learn and you, you realize how you work, you need to understand that, take a moment. Adjust And say, that's okay. Um, so you, you need to learn how your own internal kind of clock works and, you know, everyone's different. I read this book, I'm going to send it to you, and it was all about the plausible idiot. And the plausible idiot, and there's this little cartoon and it's in the front, he's wearing a suit. And at the back, it's a clown's outfit. And basically what it is that they talk to you in all the big words, they make it, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And you absolutely feel, you know, so... It's all plausible and absolutely until you see the back of them when you're firing them and um, they're walking out the door and they're wearing a clown's outfit because actually you knew it all along and you've just had the most horrific ride with them. But the problem is, is that you're the one that suffered. The joke is on you and that's the problem because you're the one that then has to rein it all in again, rebuild it, re whether it's rehire or, you know, get the team kind of dynamics right again or re kind of course correct things that have gone wrong and you know it doesn't matter whether this is about and the damage it's done for yourself exactly. right your steam yeah. how could I let this yeah. happen how did I believe mm. it how did I it was on my watch and then the other thing is why did I not cut it off sooner that's another one yes. but again each time you have to learn from it but the problem is whenever I think I'm not going to let that happen again it It happens again, but in a different guise. I always say you're not going to get everything right. I think the only thing I want to learn how to do is just to cut it off sooner because I think you need to course correct sooner because it's all about fail fast and move on. Because, you know, Mm. we're going to continue to fail because I think, you know, one in 10 things, maybe even more, two in 10 aren't going to work. But you do need to try a multitude of different avenues in order to see what, you know, what works. Going back to your story, mm. so those first days, so you now quit, yep. um, you're doing it, you're beating living faster and faster, <laughs> you're living at home, you're, you're whipping everybody, all the beads are everywhere yep. and you're trying to do this, yep. but you didn't, you actually went, didn't you, and you travelled and you mm-hmm. you went and travelled to Bangkok, to Hong Kong, um, yep. all these places. Tell me um, about those first days. So this was obviously to find suppliers. And so you had obviously quite a grand vision. I don't think I had a vision at that point. I think (laughs) I was literally just thinking about the next step. I don't think I was thinking in terms of a brand vision. I was thinking about production. And I think that's where I went wrong. I think I should have thought bigger. And I think I should have had a bigger plan. And I should have thought more about the brand side. You know, it wasn't as advanced. We weren't online yet. It was still, you know, traditional wholesale routes through trade Mm. shows. But no, what I did first was I went to trade shows. So jewelry trade shows before I went to the factories. So I went around all the trade shows comparing all the prices. I'd write it all down in my little notebook. You know, this one was 40 cents, um, you know, per carat. This one was 35 cents per carat. This one was 25. Oh, that one was cheaper. Oh, but was the quality as good? Literally comparing hundreds until I got myself completely confused. No, I'm joking. Some would finally stand out from the other. So I would go back um, after days of doing that to the best suppliers and and similarly for the manufacturers, you know, comparing, you know, who their different capabilities. But after having gone to trade shows at, let's say, in Hong Kong and Bangkok, um, I then went direct to the factories and they were in um, basically Hong Kong, Bangkok and Jaipur. But, you know, that was over a year period and I would start sampling with them and I must have sampled. Also missing, so for those who don't know this industry, mm. you're missing out the middleman, are you there? You're going directly to... Well, that was to make the jewellery. So there were oh, bead suppliers it. or gemstone suppliers yep. to supply the gemstones and then there were the manufacturers to make our designs. So we would, you know, and in those days, I mean, we would hand draw the designs on graph paper, right? I mean, there was no... <laughs> There was no specs on AI. And actually, we probably forgot to mention to everyone, 
I don't I don't know anything about I mean I don't have a jewelry um, degree I've never done yes. you know jewelry making so I think again you don't need to be trained to have a good eye to be a great designer you then need other people to come in and help you draw up those specs realize and the, sorry, the specifications yes. and realize it. But I think it is important to say that, you know, I'm not trained. And um, so I would go round to all the factories. And I remember some of the times when I was going, trying to find, you know, gemstone dealers in the early days, it was quite scary. I'd be by myself and let's say in Bangkok and it would be getting late. It'd be getting dark at, I don't know, five o'clock. And I'd be down some back alleyway and I wouldn't know where I was. And actually the street signs off the main roads didn't really have a translation in English. So I didn't, I couldn't read, you know, the street signs. We didn't have, I mean, in the early days when I was really looking around, we didn't have smartphones. You didn't have um, Google, Google maps. maps. I mean, honestly, it'd be so much easier now. And I remember one time down some back alleyways in Bangkok, in, no, in Jaipur this time, I had to phone them up and say, I'm so sorry, I just can't find it. And they sent someone on a, on a motorbike to get me. And I got on the back of this motorbike. We go careering round. And I'm just thinking, if we have an accident right now, that is it. No one knows where I am. They know I'm in Jaipur, but no one knows. I mean, I'm here by myself and I'm trusting this guy that I've just got on the back of a motorbike with. And there were just loads of scenarios like that. And I think to myself, would I do that again now? I don't think so. I don't know what made me so brave, but there was this thing that I had to do it on my own. I had to push myself. And no, I think that's one of, you know, my proudest moments. I found, you know, all of our factories, you know, by us, by, by myself, you know, I visited them all to make sure that they were the right environments for the workers, the right, you know, health and safety and quality of production, built up those relationships, went to numerous Indian weddings um, because, you know, they're such an amazingly generous, you know, culture and they invite you into their home and you become, you know, part of the family. And and to this day, we still have, you know, three suppliers that we've been working with for, you know, um, 12 to 15 years. How incredible. That is just incredible. Tell me, when you look back, at those times, what were the biggest barriers? So you now have established your business. What was mm. the what were those biggest barriers in growing? Was it funding? Was it people? I mean, every, every level. I mean, there was. Or did you just have that? There all was sorted, just huh? barriers at every single level. <laughs> Even trying to get factories to take you on when you say, "Oh, I'm thinking of," or you know, I've got a few shops I'm selling to, but I'm basically a one man show, right? Why would they bother manufacturing for you? You know, because mm. that's a bit of a waste of time for them. They need to focus on bigger, you know, clients and to make money on the side um, to kind of fund, you know, Missima, I used to design and then um, manufacture for a lot of the big high street brands as well. And it, may, it meant that I was very busy doing that as well as trying to, you know, run Missima and you're responsible for these, you know, jewelry lines or sorry, jewelry collections that go into some of the big chain stores. They've got, you know, very competitive pricing and you need to not just design it, but, you know, deliver it, you know, QC it, everything. I mean, even just the barcoding is complicated, but that was how I sort of would then help so it was it. like your side yeah, hustle. Yeah. But I mean, that's, you it have to do. Side. I've done yeah. the same. I mean, you yeah. have to do what you have to do, right? To fund your business. You have I, to do, if you want your business to survive. Yeah, I would go and I would do, everyone knows I can chat, right? So I took advantage of that. I went and I did QVC UK. I did QVC Germany. I went once and flew to Minneapolis did and I did Shop NBC. Um, that one was quite hard because I had to do four hours in a day. So two, two hour slots like live. Um, anyway, you had to do so it by yourself, you know. And then, yeah, so trying to find that first person to help you out. I still remember to this day um, the wonderful um, Lucy Delius, who's now started her own jewellery brand, actually. Um, you should check it out. And, mm. you know, she also, you know, did the hard slog because after after Missima, she then went on to work for Ashley Clark, then Jessica McCormack, then I can't remember who after that. But, you know, she did uh, many, many years of working for other brands before setting up her own brand, which, you know, so proud of her for, for doing that. To think, I mean, you know, when you start from having one person or two people and now we're, we're over 100 people, um, it's, yeah, it's pretty crazy when you think back to those days. Um, and I still remember when we were 10 or 15 in a room, you know, and you could still talk over, you know, the computer and talk to the, yes. you know, the opposite side of the room. Um, yeah. Yeah. And now it's funny, we don't even have phones what, anymore. What? So, you know, it's not like you can phone someone across the other room. They're like, why don't you just teams them? It's just everything's, I don't know, so different. I, 
I've spoken to many founders, obviously, over the time, and there's this beautiful naivety that we have, you know, thinking about you in the back mm. streets and no one knows where you are and you've got gems. You're like mm. a, mod, you know, a gloriously glamorous Del Boy with all your gems in your pockets and you're going around and things. And, and actually, you know, when you think about it, it's unbelievable that naivety almost got us there. You know, there's that something it was beautiful about that, that though, isn't it? And I actually think, there? yeah, I think that is what makes you appreciate it all the more. And so you were asking about what other things were obstacles or, or hard. Um, and, hard. you know, I would do every single trade show. We'd pack up every single suitcase. And often, often as I said, I'd take a friend um, with me. So, you know, I'd pay a friend who, um, you know, might be in between things. And we would go off and do, you know, Basel World was 10 days, right? And we would sleep on before Airbnb, a student's sort of spare room on the floor on a futon next door to the cat litter, the cat, what do you call it? Cat thingy. Anyway, you can tell yeah, I'm not cat a cat person. <laughs> um, I know me. And you know, that's, yeah, litter tray. tray. And litter that's, tray. You know, that's what we did. It's incredible. And when you go back to that sort of our stage of talking about the plausible idiot and why you knew something, it's because we have the mm. battle scars. Every single piece mm. of experience goes into creating your MBA. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like that is the, actually exactly. the real life MBA. And so many people look at brands, don't they? And they think that this has all just happened. And, you know, that's why I love this podcast, because every single time it shows tears, you blood, literally. sweat and tears. And that it's taken over a decade for you to get here. What might you say to those listening who are in that place right now? They're working hard mm. every day, but they don't feel like they're making the progress. We've all been there. And I definitely felt that I spent about seven years, more than seven years, actually, over, as you say, 10 years in the wilderness where I thought, what am I doing with my life? This is going nowhere. I'm never going to make any money. This is never going to go anywhere. And I think I did at one point take stock and I did sort of stop when I had burnout. And and I did go away thinking, well, what else would I do? What else am I good at? And I came back realizing, no, mm. this is what I truly love. This is what I'm really good at. This is what I really believe in. I think sometimes you need to, if it's not working, I remember when we switched the model. So I was being forced down. Yeah, I was going to touch of like on wholesale. That. So I was doing Vicenza shows, I was doing Birmingham shows. I mean, Vicenza was three times a year and you're exhausted and you, you realize First of all, quality of life. I mean, you, it's not glamorous. It's exhausting. But second of mm. all, we weren't making the markups and the margins. And, you know, you're basically running around like a busy fool. So I tried to take stock and go, right, how can I do this and get back to what I love? Because I'm losing my sense of what I love about it and, and you know, Self. the enjoyment yeah. that it used to bring me. And, you know, you've got to be careful of that because something that can be a passion and a hobby then becomes a real job. And how do you keep it something that really, you know, is fresh and still inspires you? So that's when we changed the model from wholesale to go online. And this was, you know, very early doors for online um, back in sort of 2011 or 12. And then we also went very early into sort of social media. So how do we sell to our customer at the right margin? Right. How do we find our customer? Okay. On social, right. Which channels, how do we speak to our customer? Okay. Through the influencers. And obviously in those days it was all organic. And obviously you can't recreate that now because it's been done and actually there are new paths. If something's really not working for you, it's not about giving up. It's about assessing, is that the right route to market? Do I need to improve anything in terms of getting the right price point? I remember once we hit our sweet spot, which was that sort of under 150 pounds, that's when it really took off for us. And, and before that, I tried 14 karat gold solid. Then I tried nine karat gold solid. Then I tried the 18 karat gold for May, which worked for us. And I also had tried diamonds, which the designs were beautiful, but were too expensive for our customer. So then we went to CZ and I remember being so scared because I was like, oh, what if they don't like, you know, these new designs in CZ? But actually they loved the designs, but they wanted the quality, but with the price point. And so it was really key. You have to find the perfect, you know, mix. Fascinating. Um, and you have to be brave because you have to take these risks and, and try these things out. For those who are listening, who might not be feeling like they're getting somewhere, 
Potentially, you need to rip off some plasters. Potentially, you need a break. And especially if you are falling out of love with what you're doing, you have to be the driving force. So if you're falling out of love with it, stop everything and take stock of things. But not only did you change the model, but you also started this sort of demi-fine jewellery, which wasn't a term that people had at the time. And so you looked at, okay, so... Right, there's this, there's fine jewellery and there's fashion jewellery and there's nothing in between. Now we understand this, but I thought that was so, so Mm. interesting. You basically educated people in a new category and created that and started owning that. I think it's really inspirational for those listening. You know, anyone can start to create a new category. We are all so fixated in what you can see, but it's the what you can't see that's maybe the magical part. I think... You have to be willing to go through that hard slog and those years of feeling like you're getting, you're not getting anywhere because nothing good comes that easily and you need to accept that. And by the way, for those that I've seen who come straight out of college and it all comes too easily, they go through some hard times too, because suddenly they get a wake up call where I don't know, something, you know, isn't right in, you know, a year, three years, whatever it is down the line, and they don't know how to handle it. Because if you've gone through the hard graft, I think you're better prepared to handle those difficult times that really are challenging. And and I actually think that, for example, when COVID came, Missima, we as a business were really able to change our sort of whole model and mindset and be incredibly agile in our response because we were so used to our grafter roots and being agile as a as a growing business. And I think it really helped. But I think that also comes from your own experience, but then what you imbue in your team. And that's where that company culture, which we can get onto later, is so important. And that comes from your learned experiences as well. Yes. It's it's just fascinating. And and I think that this is the whole whole point of what we're talking about, that this is it, there's no quick fix. There is, it's never happening overnight and you have to accept it. And actually you have to rejoice that that's the journey that you're on. Talk to me about scaling up because that is now you've created this sort of niche new area. You're owning this area. You're, you've gone from wholesale to retail. That's That must have been huge because that's mm. a completely different model. I mean, I remember my first website cost two and a half thousand pounds. And then I think the next iteration cost 5,000 and then maybe like seven and a half. And now when you do a new replatform, I mean, it costs about mm-hmm. 350,000. And by the way, for the bigger, you know, bigger corporates, it can be a million. Um, but it's just yeah. crazy yeah. to think that I remember we launched our first sort of transactional website and it was about seven and a half thousand pounds. Um, And I was uploading every single product. I was, you know, (laughs) doing all the descriptions. I was doing, in fact, the other day I finally said, I think I need to stop checking the descriptions because I was still checking every product name, every description, (laughs) every photo. And you know, you have to just learn to let go of it. Uh, I'm trying to teach myself that, but it is hard, I have to say. It, it is hard. But you know what? I sometimes think that that is just founder titus. You know, you just never, ever get out of it. It's that, that thing. Tell me, when you were scaling, what were those What were those difficulties? And, you know, you're still growing as a brand, aren't you? I think that, you know, you need to start with your, let's say, your Shopify website, something you can build easily, go external, go to agencies. Um you need to get freelance, you know, product um, photographers to take all yep. the product photography. I mean, we used to do all the as warns, which are, sorry, um, when you see the jewelry on, you know, the person, yes. when you see their ear, whatever, on my doorstep, literally. I mean, the number of times. <laughs> um, and now, obviously, we have a studio and we do it all in house and we've got the lights, yeah. we've got the, you know, the videographer and we've got the photographer. And we still do it all in house, by the way. I do recommend, like, at the beginning, you might want to, you know, go a bit freelance whilst you can't afford to bring someone in-house. But I still am of the belief, as and when you can, bring it in-house. We obviously, you know, you start with your home market, UK first. I think then when we went into, you know, influencers, certain ones have international reach, then you start getting organic traffic internationally. Your press, I mean, it all has to work together. So you have your press, you know, coverage, and a lot of that is online and has international reach you know, your VIPs, so your celebrities, international reach, your influencers, some obviously are more tone setting and some are more um, 
you know, commercial um, revenue drivers, but mm-hmm. you need both. Um, and then... What did it feel like when you found, when you saw celebrities in your jewellery? I mean, it obviously is amazing, but I actually feel more excited when I see someone walk down the street and I see a, a piece of Missima. Do that, you ever go up to anyone? No, I don't. I get way too embarrassed, but my my friends do and my husband does. I'm trying to think who else. Oh, yeah, wherever I'm with, they're like, oh. They're so proud. She, you know, she designed that or, you know, she is Missima. It's so embarrassing, but I do remember like the first time I ever saw her someone in a piece in a piece of Missima. I was in the queue for uh, for the loo actually and the girl um in front of me was wearing Missima and I was like oh that's amazing um, that, but that's, even now you still get that same feeling it never goes that feeling actually never di- dies down because you're really interested by how people wear it in their mm-hmm. everyday life and all the different, you know, demographics and, you know, just different types of people and how they style it. And that's what actually is really inspiring. And sometimes just seeing how they style it inspires you for something, you know, in the future. Yeah. But um, I think digital marketing was like one of the most important steps. I think when we decided that, right, how do we reach more people more than just organically? And we started, you know, turning on the different digital channels. Um, And we were quite early to, you know, to that because we were very early online. We were very early to adopt, you know, digital marketing and be that paid social, paid search, um, you know, branded or generic. You know, now obviously we do, you know, all the channels from, you know, Pinterest, YouTube. We're not yet really doing TikTok. We're sort of playing around with it. Um, but it's just about being on top of all of those channels. And, and of course, you know, affiliates. Um, originally, influencers were all organic and we built those relationships and everything was organic. But now, obviously, you know, there's affiliate channels and there's, you know, content yes. publishers, there's, um, you know, influencers. And it's caught up with you. Yeah. You know, the digital market side is more challenging now and especially post-COVID because obviously everyone went online during COVID and then you had iOS 14 changes. It has made it a much more expensive channel and therefore we're paying more to reach less people. And so it is less cost effective, which is why now everyone's looking more at the omni-channel approach Mm. and, you know, going back to Mm. bricks and mortar, which is great. But you have to embrace these changes and you have to try and see them as they happen and you know, act fast and and embrace changes as challenges, not as problems. And I do think, you know, with everything, you wake up in the morning and you go, instead of going, oh, what problem am I going to have today? It's about how you frame it in your mind. And so you have to go, right, what am I going to solve today? And, and that's what it's yeah. about. Forging a career path is hard. And we all know that there's a confidence gap between men and women in business, especially for those just starting out. But what if you could learn from the women who have broken through, challenged the stereotypes and stepped into their power? That's where this week's podcast recommendation comes in. Walk Tall by Carolina Herrera, hosted by author and content creator Tony Tone. This show is basically like a personal, portable career coach. In it, you'll learn about the power of perseverance from Olympic heptathlete Katerina Johnson-Thompson. How to make happiness your ultimate career goal with wellness icon Poppy Jamie and much more. Each episode will feature tips, tricks and takeaways, tackling a different workplace challenge to help listeners find the confidence to walk tall. This show is available wherever you get your podcasts. Tell me when you were scaling, what was your personal life like in terms of, you know, (laughs) non-existent? um, You know, I know that Mm. the toll that Mm. certainly I would say women, I'm going to say women. I think think everyone takes a toll, but I certainly think women take a toll in, in their personal lives, in growing a company, what it takes, how much potentially harder you do have to work. Only when you look back do you realise that, though. But similarly, our places still in the home and maybe in society haven't caught up with the fact that we're we're building a brand. Um, tell me about tell me about that side. I mean, I didn't have children, and I don't know how people do it with children. I just don't know how they balance it because I'm in absolute awe, and I I find it hard to balance. And I don't even have children. Um, I mean, you know, sometimes I think about you know my team of 100 as my children, but 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 no, I I definitely feel that you know it was late nights. Um, 
it was, you know, working every weekend, even on holiday, I work every single day. Um, I think the first time I really took a break and even then I did check in on emails and I did interview a CTO and I did do a few things was on my honeymoon. And look, I only got married um, last year. And I really think that I met my husband later in life because I was so bloody busy working that I wasn't Mm. really looking around. And when I was, I was exhausted. So I wasn't even giving out the right energy. Um, And look, I'm not going to lie. I don't think that things have necessarily improved for me. I think now I have someone who can really support me and he helps support me through when I'm, you know, exhausted or when I'm, you know, um, moaning or then, you know, when I'm fun, you know, we, we all go through these ups and downs, but I wouldn't say that I have discovered how to get the right balance. I definitely don't. I still don't have the right balance. I still overwork. I still don't know when to stop. I actually don't know what to do with myself when I'm not working. (laughs) Um, and so I think that's something I'll constantly be striving for. I, I I too, you know, I find building and working uh, is part yeah, of me. Exactly. I, I sort of, you know, and and so actually take me out. I feel of, like I'm missing a limb. Yeah, take me out of my environment. Mm, I find mm, it a little bit difficult, yeah. you know. So when I've just, we've just been sharing that you've just been to Marrakesh and so have I. And, you know, in my suitcase, old fashioned books, can't be doing a Kindle thing. You know, I've got my old fashioned books packed up. They're all business books. They're all, it's all about, because actually that gave me time to think about the things that I can't think about when I'm in my day to day. And that's super enjoyable for me, you know, and I can imagine. So actually traveling is the one thing I do love because when I'm traveling, I'm always doing something new. And so that fills me with so much kind of excitement and just the inspiration you can find in, you know, when you are traveling in new cultures. And so there is the only time I don't have a problem. Um, And I think the only other time I really unwind is watching TV because it's escapism. Mm. My brain stops working. But the rest of the time, even when I'm doing, you know, if I'm doing exercise, it's still just thinking about a million things at the same time. And it's actually, it's not that I come to any really incredible conclusions. I don't. It's almost like there's five conversations going on in my mind at the same time and they all just end up confusing me. And so that's why I find it hard to relax. We're coming towards the end, but I have a question for you. Um, Obviously, you know, you have now an incredibly loyal and engaged community, over 500,000 followers on Instagram. I think you can see this authenticity of your brand, the passion. You have amazing partnerships. I know you've done brilliant partnerships with Copperfield, the Breast Cancer Awareness Charity, Tree Sisters, who are a female-founded charity that aids uh, reforestation, um, and that your business is also going on the sustainable journey. Yeah. Tell me a little bit more about this. We've just become a B Corp at Holly & Co. Tell me about the, because the jewellery world, I wouldn't mm-hmm. instantly say, well, except for child labour and things like that. But I, it's actually more than that, isn't it? And so oh, tell me about the that. journey that so, you're going on. So it's it's something that we're really, really passionate about. And we have so many different channels that we're working on across this. So one is obviously all of our factories are responsible, jewellery council audited. And we as a company are as well. So we're just finalising our audit right now. So that's going through all of our back end and operational. And what does that actually mean? Someone's checking up on your... They're auditing, you know, every single operational side, your um, health and safety, your working conditions, um, all, you know, every single area of the business is audited. Um, And so with the factories, there's obviously so many areas that you want to be watching for, which is, you know, pay, overtime, the the standards, the working conditions, um, even just, you know, transportation to and from work, the extra, um, you know, facilities they give or, you know, pensions. Um, there's so many different things that we want to check that they are getting, you know, well um, and fairly paid for, but also then the health and safety. Mm-hmm. Then we also audit now the chain of custody on all of our products. So there's the recycled gold, the recycled silver, which comes from the US and cha- and making sure that each one of our suppliers is using the same um, audited factories, the same with, let's say, our chains, which come from Italy. Are we using the same mm. machines? The machines are coming from Germany, but then you've got the findings. So when we're trying to say something is 100% recycled, let's say silver or gold, what we were finding is you could have the solder metal could be and the chains could be, but then maybe one component like the post or the scroll wasn't. So that's where we like to be very, very, very 100% clear 
on what we are doing, what we haven't yet been able to do, why we haven't, and what we're trying to do to fix it. So, for example, two of our factories were outside of the import-export zone. So when we were doing our recycled project, they couldn't import those recycled goods at the same price. And so it took us about a year, maybe even a year and a half, to kind of find a solution to it. And in the meantime, they're saying, oh, but you can still say it's recycled because we can buy from the government, I can't remember, it's MMPC. And it says recycled gold and silver, but it doesn't say 100%, right? So we said, no, we can't. We can't Mm. say that because it's not 100% and it's not through the same chain of custody, right? We don't know what percentage of that is recycled. So again, that's where you need to be really, really, really clear with your own you know, parameters. And then with your customer and explain why, because as long as you explain why, then they understand. So now we're looking at recycled brass. Um, Gemstones is, you know, and and pearls are a harder journey and the industry just is not there yet. And so we need to all work together as, you know, jewelry brands um, to really put pressure on the industry to improve it. And I think the pearl industry already is improving. Gemstones, there are some, you know, minds that are, but it just as a whole, you still don't always know. So I think you just need to tell your customer everything so that then they can see that you have a road map, you have a plan, you are trying to get to, like right now we have carbon neutral deliveries and returns, but we don't have it for inbound. But even once we do do that, which we're turning on, I think from Jan, we're also going to be carbon neutral on our operational side, which at the moment it's just for deliveries, returns. We're going to then have carbon neutral on our operations. That still is not good enough. That is only offsetting and offsetting is not good enough. You actually need to be trying to reduce your own carbon footprint. So as long as you make it clear to your customer, we know that's not good enough. We know that that is only step, you know, two or step one on this journey, but this is at least what we are doing. And then we're going to plan to get to net zero, but that will take longer. And it's a long-term commitment. And I, But it's pretty cool. I'm not being, like what you just said there, you know, not many founders come on and can can literally say that that is the changes mm. that they're making. Well, we're, we're really passionate about it. And the whole team are, but it's really important. The whole team are, we have like an OKR group in the business and every single person for their department needs to think. It's not just about um, how it's produced. It's also what do you do with it afterwards? And you need to be thinking about all different areas. And that in itself, by the way, is almost a whole nother business, you know? And yeah, it's, there's a lot to think about. You must be so proud of what you have built. And I know that potentially founders 100% 100% never say that because <laughs> they they could they had they haven't even looked backwards yet they're just mm. only looking forward and I know that from you my own experience. You forget to enjoy the moments yeah. Yeah but for Masoma what do you think is your future then? Do you know you've got plans you've got dreams still? So we have so many plans. If anything, it's the fact that we need to focus them because there's so many ideas and every single day there are new ideas. So we're, we're launching our first um, concession actually in Liberties and then we have a pop-up coming. Um, we have a really... Oh, when are you launching Liberty? Um, that is at the end of October, so next week, but I don't know when this is coming out. Yeah. And then we've got a pop-up, which I literally told him yesterday, you've got three weeks to plan. <laughs> I'm like, you haven't had, we call it the Marisa black chip. I'm like, you haven't had a black chip for a while. So incoming, literally the email alerts go off going black chip incoming. So tell me, so running a business mm-hmm. is like being on an epic roller coaster. Oh my and I can only imagine you in your roller coaster car. Yeah. You would be blinged up <laughs> and I would be sitting behind yeah. you salivating with all of your bling. Um, it would be pretty great. Um, but I'm going to ask you to start with your biggest low before your high. My biggest low. Um, I think it was when I, about 10 years ago, I got burnout. I mean, literally burnout. It was me and one other person. And I just thought I cannot continue doing this the way that I'm doing it. I was so exhausted. And, you know, it was physical burnout. Took some time out, thought, okay, I'm packing it in. And told everyone I was closing Missima. Um, and thought, I'm going to have to go and find something else. Went traveling for like three, four months to try and clear my head, to try and figure out what do I want to do. And you know, I came back realizing there's nothing else I want to do. There is, this is what I love. This is what I'm passionate about. I just need to find a smarter way to do it. And I think that out of that low point of feeling so disheartened, so hopeless about everything, and it's never going anywhere, I think something good comes out of 
everything bad. And I think you always need to think that way. You need to turn, mm. you need to learn from everything, no matter how devastating mm. a situation, and there's way more devastating and awful things happening. You need to think, right, how can it make me stronger? How can it make me smarter? Right, how can I grow from that? How can that teach me a lesson? And I just, I always believe, turn, try and turn a negative into a positive. And that's, that's a challenge, but it's also... It's a great gift when you do. It's a great lesson mm. and it's a gift, isn't it? And and conversely, your greatest high that you greatest touched on. High. Well, maybe that wasn't your greatest high, but just, just, just let us into what happened last week then. So that's what I was saying. You know, theoretically, it should be those moments, you know, you're going to Buckingham Palace and you're receiving a Queen's Award. And it is, I mean, so, 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 so proud um, to, you know, have had that opportunity and, and you know, for us to be recognised, you know, for international trade. But do you know what? It was last week in the pub, we... We had a, a farewell drinks actually for um, two people and then it turned into, you know, a raucous drinks with lots of the team. And then there were about four people who came who'd left, you know, in the past, like over the last two years, came back because it is just the best thing ever to see your team in the element, having the best time ever, being completely raucous and just they love working together. They're passionate about the brand about, you know, they're great friends with each other. Um, they've made friends for life. There are even ones who are coming back because they've, you know, they've made such great friends for life and they, you know, they love the whole team. And you think, well, that's an achievement. That's something that I have created. I've created this great atmosphere and people love working here. Um, they do moan about mm. the office. They say the office isn't very nice in terms of the actual like strip lighting and all of that. But the camaraderie and the office culture, I think, is something yeah. to be really proud of. Yeah. Well, with you at the helm, it's <laughs> not hard, I have to say. I've loved every single second of this conversation. You are absolutely the biggest, wonderful ball of energy <laughs> and smartness. And just, I love I love your tale because it, it, it reminds me of my own and just the... You know, when you know, you yeah. know. When you know you've got the war scars, yeah. you can recognise other yeah. people. We're with the those. same person. We, we knew that we, from the minute we started chatting. We did, yeah. didn't we? We really, really did. I'm going to hand over to you now because I know you prepared a letter to your younger self. I don't know what you're going to say, um, but it's a moment in time where I take my glasses off and listen to you. Um, but thank you um, in advance for oh, sharing a piece you. of your soul with us today. Well, I, I hope... I hope you enjoy it. I mean, I wrote it last night in a, in a bit of a panic and I just let it pour out of me. And I think that's the best way, you know, um, but it is more about work advice. Okay. So it's not so much the personal side of my, you know, how I would write to my younger self. It's more about the work side. Here goes. Okay. Dear me. Well, younger me. First off, I just want to tell you that it will all be okay. It will work out one way or another. I know sometimes it doesn't seem like it and you feel lost or disheartened, but everything turns out the way it's meant to. Right now you're in your early 20s and you don't know what to do with your life, what career path to take, how to make a difference, how to make your mark. And that's okay. You don't need to have it all figured out. You don't need to have a plan. The most important thing is just to be open, open to everything, to the unknown, to change, to being adventurous, and most of all, to going outside of your comfort zone. There are certain things to make sure you do. Try anything and everything. Jump in head first and see what you think. You don't need to love it. You don't need to love everything you try, but you learn more from your mistakes than you do from what goes right. Your mistakes, your setbacks, your missteps all help form your positive action and your path forward. And there will be many setbacks. When I took the jump to set up my own thing, I felt like I spent seven years in the wilderness finding my way. There'll be many times where you feel you are taking one step forward only to then take two steps back, but you must persevere. There are many who don't, they give up, but what you really want, what you really believe in does not come easily. Perseverance is key, but if I can help reduce those early years slightly, then I would say I wish I'd known this. Make a plan, any plan, and then keep refining it as you go. It doesn't need to be set in stone and it will never be right, but it can help give you focus. I wish I had a partner to do this with. It was lonely in the beginning years, constantly struggling on your own, trying to keep up the momentum and not get disheartened. If you do find a partner, make sure you have complementary skill sets. It's good to balance each other out. You want that person to be your sounding board and vice versa. And if you don't have a partner, then make sure you find really good mentors who you can go to for advice. The other important thing is to build up your confidence. 
You may not feel confident, but a lot of that comes with time, age, practice and experience. Be patient, but make sure you push yourself and each time it gets just a little easier and a little less daunting. And in general, make sure you trust your gut. It's easy to say and hard to follow, but don't let others come in and tell you how things should be done just because they have more experience than you. It's easy to be intimidated by people from more corporate environments, but you have to remember that you built your brand, you know it better than anyone else, and you know what feels right. If something doesn't, then it probably isn't. Never underestimate your own power and knowledge. And speaking of power, make sure you know the power of no. It's important to say no when something isn't what you want or what you can do. You can't be something to everyone or you will burn out and end up stretching yourself too thin. Know your limits and remember that saying no is powerful. It's better to do less but do it really well than to try and do everything but not do any of it well. I should know if there's one thing I'm guilty of, it's trying to do too much. Leading on from that, avoid surrounding yourself with yes people. In the corporate world, you need to embrace the experience of the people you trust and you can only trust people who are honest with you. People who will say no if they truly believe it's not right for you or the brand. Also, I found that delegating is often the best answer. Know what your strengths are and lean on others in areas that aren't your expertise. Trust is key, but also enjoy who you work with. Build up a great team with a can-do positive attitude. Surrounding yourself with the right people is just as important as the company mission or product. They're the people that help the brand grow, move forward and thrive. They need to embody the company ethos just as much as you. If something can't be done, find other ways around the problem. Never give up your grafter roots. And don't get stuck over-analyzing scenarios. Be decisive, fail fast and move on. Better to have tried than to have not tried at all. There'll be many ups and downs over the years, as in life. It's not always easy, and there are times that test us to our limits, and you will feel like giving up. But that's the whole point. Nothing worthwhile comes easy. Even if it does, then it can be taken away just as easily. The harder you work for it, the sweeter the reward, as you know with all your being that you deserve it. And once you've achieved some of your goals, you'll find you have even bigger goals. Never stop dreaming and aiming high, but equally, never take any of it for granted, as it will wax and wane just like the phases of the moon. You need to be able to ride the peaks and troughs as nothing moves in a straight line. But that's the challenge. It's how you deal with the hard times that makes you appreciate the good times. And remember, you have time. You have so much ahead of you to look forward to and to learn from. Take advantage of every minute as it goes by very quickly and you don't want to have any regrets. Why didn't I do that? Never got anyone anywhere. Right now, I know you don't feel confident enough to try it, but you can do it. You need to believe in yourself. You need to take it step by step and you need to work hard. You will get there, but only if you stay focused, persevere and believe that you can do it. I believe you can. Oh, and try and enjoy the ride. Love your older you. <laughs> I got tongue tied a few oh, times. So beautiful. <laughs> I definitely hadn't read it through enough times. <laughs> totally beautiful. And what I mean, my goodness, when I hear your story and I hear that letter, and you know, it's amazing. What might you say in the next decade to yourself? Because it's it's just an unbelievable brand that you oh, have built you. and you are a phenomenal leader. Um, and there's not many of us women out there who are doing this yeah. job. Um, and so you are going to be held in such high regard from everyone listening and that beautiful, vulnerable letter to anyone who's dreaming about starting a business, taking advice from your younger yeah. self and in believing in you. They're all things I wish, I wish I'd known. And they sound very general, but sometimes you need to get those things right first. Your, you know, your inner confidence and yes. holding your own, like, you know, power and holding your own ground yes. and and being able to say no as much as you yeah and not surround yourself with yes people it's just everything I'm like I'm nodding like a Cheshire cat as even though we're not cat people you I know, know we're not cat people <laughs> but you've been through all of those things too that's the thing you're nodding because you know I, you know that it's all the things we, I know we see. I know yeah bless oh, you oh thank you so much Holly this has just been the most wonderful conversation and I know so many people will be scribbling notes as they listen to this thank you for your vulnerability well, I hope I've helped in some way Absolutely, you have. Much love. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. 
Before you go, don't forget to head to adobe.com slash go slash Holly Tucker to find out how Adobe Express can fuel creativity in your business. And if you've enjoyed this episode, if it's helped you along your journey or inspired you, would you mind rating and reviewing? Your support means the world to me. It really does spread the word and will help inspire even more people to build a life they love. And if you want to hear all our latest news, you can sign up to my weekly newsletter, Holly's Desk Notes, over at holly.co. 